Yeah, no, it was very cool. Yeah? Mm-hmm. It was funny because Pam, who was doing the ultrasound, she's like, we had just gotten started, and she's like, are you an athlete? I'm like, what are you at? I'm like, well, I'm like, well, thank you. She's like, just your heart rate is really low. So she's like, it's just not really low, but it's low. And then she's like, that's pretty common in an athlete. And I said, well, I do work out, but I said, I don't, I don't think I consider myself an athlete. <laughs> she's like, well, I don't work out, so you're an athlete, to me, to me my opinion. So. And you tipped her. Yeah. And I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Good athletes would tip her. Yeah, well, I guess I'm not a good athlete. I'm just an athlete. So, but it was so relaxing, man. I could have fallen asleep in there. I'm like, if I had a warm blanket right now. Pam. But you had Pam. 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 She's like, I can get you one. I'm like, no, really, I don't need one. I will fall asleep. Can we spoon? (laughs) I'm a snuggler. Yeah, no. I don't think there was going to be a whole lot of spooning with Pam. Can we snuggle? Hey, everybody, and uh, welcome back to Bourbon Boys, the podcast where guys get together to talk about bourbon, about life, lore, libation, and everything that comes with being a dad. We aren't bourbon snobs, but we're just a group of guys who like bourbon for what it is and how it tastes. It's pretty simple. This is podcast number 17, and I am Kurt, your host tonight, and with me are my bourbon boys. We've got Elton. Hello, hello. We've got Dew. Yo. We've got Krat. Hey. And we've got a special guest tonight, uh, Macaulay Williams from BR Distilling. So welcome, Macaulay. Um, Tonight, we are going to go through three different uh, bourbons. Um, Actually, we're going to do a bourbon, a rye, and it's another called Juke Joint, um, all from BR Distilling. And we're going to learn a little bit about that distillery, about Macaulay uh, and his team in Memphis, Tennessee. So glad to be back with you guys. Taste a little bourbon. So let's get started. So Kurt, uh, Kurt, yeah, this is our very first session with, with a, a distiller with a guest. It is, yeah, it is. You're number one, Macaulay. You are the first. Awesome! Thanks for having me, guys. It's a segment we we were we were calling it staring down the barrel, and it's talking to the uh, the small guys who are getting out there and and doing what they love to do. So you are the first. Cool. So we're gonna we're gonna jump right in. Um, as you heard, this is about life, lore, and libation. So we're gonna really structure the conversation around that, Macaulay, tonight. But um, so sorry to put you on the spot. Uh, first question for you: What should be the first bottle we should open tonight? Yeah. So I would start with our first product to market. Give me the Blue Note Premium Small Batch. Okay. That's the not year product. All right. And um, since you're the aficionado here from BR, we're gonna have you tell us a little bit about Blue Note. Cool. Um, we doing tasting notes or about the brand or the full spectrum? Uh, give us the full spectrum. Uh, let's start with the tasting notes and the bottles being passed around right now. So we're each going to pour a little bit for ourselves. And the um, first thing I want to say is the name Blue Note. You know, is a uh, homage to the Memphis Blues, right? So we're in Memphis, Tennessee. So this is our nine-year Tennessee bourbon uh, bottled at ninety-three proof. We've done that, so it's inherently approachable, but it also still has you know, enough uh, strength to appeal to whiskey aficionados like yourself. Non-chilled, you get a whole lot of maple, butterscotch, Mm. vanilla, caramel, the note and palate. Uh, But you'll get that leathery, uh, oaky note that's really only comes from, you know, aged bourbons, aged seven plus years. So you get that mature note that you're looking for in your premium bourbon. Uh, It's got an inherently smooth finish, which we've designed and we've uh, trademarked as smoother than smooth. Mm. Again, the goal with this product is to have something that can be appreciated by the highbrows like yourselves, but also by the lowbrows as well. Wow. That's, like, yeah. that's the first time I think I've ever been called yeah. highbrow. I've never Thank been you. called a highbrow, so we'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> Fortunately, he doesn't, he doesn't know us well enough yet. Um, that, that's great. That's great. So this was the first, the first to come out of BR Distilling. Is that correct? Yeah, we wanted to start with our most premium wine first to really garner a strong reputation in the industry and within our community. Okay. So people know we're a really high quality product. 
Okay, that's great. So we're going to get into some of the details a little later around the distillery, how it got started and so forth. But um, so now we're going to drill you on a few a few questions. So um, talk to us a little bit about your background. I know a little bit. I shared your profile with these guys as well. Um, but tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to bourbon. Let's start there. Sure. So I'm a recovering attorney, as I like to say. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I practiced mergers and acquisitions and securities uh, for the largest law firm in the Southeast. So I raised money for companies through debt and equity. I bought and sold companies uh, and I helped form a whole lot of companies along the way. And I've always wanted to do something inherently entrepreneurial. I had no idea that it was going to be in the craft spirit space. Um, but I saw an opportunity from a client of mine, which was a liquidating vodka distillery. Uh, liquidating upon assets and uh, looking to go under. And I had helped them uh, with that process and then just sat there scratching my head thinking, man, what an interesting opportunity. Here is a licensed DSP sitting vacant. Uh, it's got all the space in the world, all the equipment we need to get started. I personally don't like vodka. You know, I'll drink a vodka soda at a wedding or something when it's hot in the summer. Uh, but, you know, bourbon, I'm a, I'm a bourbon and red wine guy, so I like things a little more flavored. Anyways, I thought, like, why can't we convert this distillery into doing, you know, American whiskey bourbon and Tennessee whiskey? Um, and, you know, after about a year's worth of research, um, I convinced some of my clients and one of my mentors at the law firm to go in with me to buy this defunct distillery. Um, recapitalize it, and then I convinced them that I was going to quit my job as a corporate attorney and, you know, give it a go as an entrepreneur trying to build a craft whiskey distillery and whiskey brands. Okay, that's so cool. cool. That's cool. <clears throat> so let's step back a little bit. So before you got into this whole thing, tell us a little bit about, uh, well, tell us what your first bourbon experience was. Yeah, so, um, well... My first bourbon experience is probably when I was 14, stealing from my dad's liquor cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do tell. <laughs> well, uh, I remember he had, well, you know, he had all the basics, and I think he used to, like, mark the bottles, um, you know, with the line. Or he, he must have, at least, at least in my head. I think, like, every teenager thinks there's some secret marking on it. And I remember one time he called me, uh, I was probably in, like, the ninth grade or something down, and someone called me to speak. I think you've been... You dip it in the liquor cabinet, and I'm like, oh shit! Like, how does he know? I only had like one or two drinks. What even like drinking? I just like tried it because I thought it was cool. And he starts pulling out all these empty bottles of whiskey out of the liquor cabinet, and I'm looking at it and saying, oh god, uh, that wasn't me. Like, it's like ten empty bottles. Turns out, uh, <laughs> house, turns out their housekeeper had been hitting the bottle pretty hard. During the- <laughs> nice. And then he was trying to blame it on me. And I was like, hey, look, I'm going to come clean, Pops. Like, I've had like one or two sips out of that. I'm a curious, like, 14, 15 year old. Uh, but that I didn't drink 10 bottles of it. Uh, <laughs> you didn't go pro. It was in college, you know, good old Evan Green label and Coke or ginger ale. Yeah. Yeah. You know, couldn't afford a decent bourbon. And honestly, that left a bad taste in my mouth about bourbon. <laughs> Um, and throughout college, just more of like a beer and vodka guy. But in law school, you do, do a lot of studying. Law school is pretty isolating. You really have to teach yourself the courses. And I would go into hibernation at our family farm every year before finals, fall, and spring semester. And I'd swing by my friend's liquor store. Hey, I wanted in the fall semester, you know, it's cold. I was building a fire and studying and just like a, a law hermit trying to like learn as much as I could. And you know, after drinking coffee all day, you need to be able to go to sleep. And I was like, what if I get like a nice bottle of bourbon? I, I think that sounds like something a lawyer or a Southern gentleman <laughs> would do. You know, he had put me uh, on to good bottles, right? And so that's actually really how I started to get into bourbons. And that's my friend, Cisco, for a shout out to him, who owns Joe's Wine and Liquor here in Memphis. And uh, he started me off on Bowman uh, because I went to University of Virginia at the time. So he started me off on uh, Bowman as a Virginia bourbon. And then from there, you know, it was like Basil, Hayden, Booker's. We just kind of worked our way down kind of the mainstream bottles. And mm-hmm. then lo and behold, I realized that 
bourbon's better than a green label Evan Williams bottle. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's great. That's a great story. So um, let's shift gears a little bit. Tell us about your family. Yeah. So uh, my name Macaulay comes uh, from a long uh, family line. So my namesake actually fought in the Revolutionary War and earned a land grant in Western North Carolina, Ooh. which was actually now modern Tennessee. Uh, and so that was for his service in the Revolutionary War and that farm. Macaulay Hill Farm has been in our family ever since. I was named after him and the farm and everything. And we have a tobacco farm in Middle Tennessee. Uh, my father uh, started practicing law and moved to Memphis. And that's where I was born and raised. Um, and just fell in love with the city growing up, as so many Memphians do. Um, and we just have a lot of city pride. So I live in Memphis to commute up there a lot. But um, there's no, there's really no family lineage to distilling. My, fa- my grandfather started a winery on our tobacco farm distilling some moonshining but uh (laughs) this is more more out of my passion than some sort of family you know heritage that's great so um had a few other in there but i think you answered a lot of those um particularly how you kind of came to bourbon how you got into bourbon and kind of where how you've landed where you're at today um do you see this as your lifelong career going forward or do you see yourself going back to a recovering attorney someday or kind of trying to combine the both? Where, where are you at with that? You know, we'll see. I, I don't think I'm going back to practicing law. Um, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Uh, this is not my first business endeavor. It's definitely become my most serious. Um, you know, I'd like to think of myself as one day being a serial entrepreneur and doing many things, but I, I hope I'm always involved with this distillery and, uh, and in the industry. I mean, I've definitely fallen in love with the industry. Very cool. Um, guys, any questions for Macaulay or I love it. I mean, this, yeah. this, uh, this nine year is so smooth. It's really good, yeah, right? Really, really awesome. smooth. Yeah. yeah. Selfishly, I have to admit Macaulay, the first bottle that I got from Steve, I think it's Steve, right? Yeah. Um, I selfishly did not share it with these guys because I opened it and was like, this is really good. <laughs> so, um, and we were always going to have a, do something around a music theme or, you know, something of that nature. And we just never got around to it. And unfortunately I drank the whole first bottle. So, um, lucky for you. Yeah. Lucky for me. So, and again, thanks for getting the the stuff to us. Cause it was, I know it took us a little bit, but we got there and it's really great to have you here. So, um, I'm going to pass it. Well, first of all, what do you guys think? So talk, talk to me a little bit about the, the blue note that we just tasted. Well, the, um, <clears throat> first of all, Macaulay really, really love this bourbon. Um, the, uh, you mentioned the nose and the maple and the butterscotch. And the first thing I got was maple in a big way. Um, I didn't really pick up on the butterscotch quite as much, but definitely on the maple. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I, I lean more to the butterscotch myself. Really? Yeah. Well. So definitely, definitely like a lot. Macaulay, you talked about some of the, your journey into the finer spirits, Bowman, uh, and Ford all the way up to Booker in your list there. When you were thinking about, you know, getting into the higher end spirits, was there one you're like, you keep measuring, uh, yourself and, and your brands against? You know, one that stuck out to me, it was not necessarily as like consciously measuring against, but Eagle Rare. Okay. Um, nice. Yep. You know, one amazing package, uh, cool story and everything, but also just an inherently drinkable bourbon. Again, yep. something that can be appreciated by folks newer. Or you, you give somebody that's not into whiskey a, a drink of Booker's and they're going to make a crazy face and look at you like you're crazy for serving it to them. It's just too hot. Right? It's not approachable. Yep. So I want to create something that was something that somebody like you guys that are uh, drinking fine bourbons can appreciate. It's inherently pro- approachable and flavorful. That smooth characteristic that can get more people into drinking bourbons, right? That's the goal is to yep. let's, let's make rising tide bring more folks into drinking bourbon and, and just rise the category. Yeah. And you've done that. Like you said, and we, and we talk a, a lot in the, as we taste different bourbons of, yeah, this is a good bourbon for somebody just entering the category or somebody who's been in it a while, you know, like you said, maybe you're looking for something a little, a little hotter or more exotic, but uh, I think you nailed it. This is a really good flavor, but it is smooth and approachable and, and one that can absolutely be a, you know, an introductory and, and bring people into the, the bourbon family. Yeah, I, sure. I, I, I don't think that there's, I mean, if you think about this is your first bourbon in, it's really smooth. It, mm. It's, it's what, 93? 93, yeah. Like, it's it's up there. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've got to go too far outside of it, too. I mean, this is this is almost a, a, a tease. Like, it's a great bourbon to start with because I think it's, like you said, Macaulay, it's really approachable. But I also think it's 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 a great bourbon. 
Yeah. yeah. Like it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard for someone to taste a second bourbon after that if it's not a, a real high-quality bourbon. Yeah. No, I would agree. I mean, I think what I like about it is I, I think I'm kind of with both of you, not that I like to agree with David, but... Oh, jeez. Um, Here we go. <laughs> Um, but I think it's the, the taste I get in the front and then what I get in the back is different. And I think it's that butterscotch that comes out for me. There's a yeah. warm sense to it. And, um, I just find it overall all around a really, a really good drink. So, um, well done, Macaulay. Yeah. Thanks. And I just wanted to emphasize when we say approachable, it's a balancing act, right? Because like, we are trying to pander to a more sophisticated palate as well. I'm trying to come up with a product that can be appreciated by both those audiences it is is a real challenge because what I kept finding in previous experiments is it just kept appealing to one or the other. And, you know, your palate is sophisticated and you're, you're going to be constantly searching for more flavor and effectively you, you, your palate gets bored if there's not enough complexity in there. Mm-hmm. And trying to balance that approachability with that sort of level of complexity of flavor is tough. And, and luckily, you know, with the age on this one, the barrel has done the, the hard work. Right. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's great. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna kind of keep it keep it going. Um, so we're moving on to lore. So in that frame of reference, uh, and I'm really sorry, but I'm gonna pass you to David. So, <laughs> so Macaulay, um, just just so you know, Kurt and I've got a love hate relationship, and <laughs> recently it's been a little bit heavier on the hate side. I'm not sure what's going on with Kurt and his personal true. life, but it's I, not true. I offered to hug him earlier, and yeah. he. he he went with a COVID as a reason why I should. Yeah. So, anyway. Dave's too sensitive. Uh, yeah. So, um, so we're going to go with lore. So given that. <laughs> He's um, moving on. I'm moving on. That's right. <laughs> so I, Macaulay, I mean, again, kind of getting into the lore and the tradition. I mean, you talked a lot about your family and uh, it sounds like there's a ton of tradition there. Have you been able to carry any of that tradition over into the process um, that you guys are using there? Um, if you think about the distilling. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, I'd like to emphasize that I, it's just pure coincidence that there's a long family lineage um, in Tennessee and tobacco and bourbon, I guess one could think there is some sort of commonality. There's really not. Uh, with, with, with the lore side of this, I, I want this to be bigger than me or anybody on our team. With, with Blue Note, you know, again, being named after the Memphis Blues, um, we're trying to invoke not only the feeling of an era, birth of the blues, sort of that prohibition speakeasy feel, but with uh, something much bigger that our city and our um, you know, real, really regional area that, that bleeds over into the Mississippi Delta and the Arbor from us that has to do uh, with the blues. And when thinking about our area's biggest contribution to culture and the thing that we have done to influence you know, culture nationally, internationally, it, it's through music and food as well with our barbecue, but through music, through the creation of the blues, which later gave rise to the birth of rock and roll. Memphis is the home of the blues and birthplace of rock and roll. You know, our city and those early uh, forefathers and, and ladies and pioneers of that industry really changed our modern culture. So I wanted to tie a, a our product into that grander sense of history that's bigger than any one family, any one person, but our entire region's significance. And, uh, and then also playing on not to be cheesy, but playing on like the double entendre of Blue Note, right? The Blue Note is a musical note that is a hybrid note that was pioneered and invented by early blues pickers, but tasting note, right? Uh, the Blue Note is a blend or a troubled note. Of, it's a blending of two different notes together. That's inherent. We thought that would be a really cool name for a bourbon because with a great bourbon, you're going to get more than one flavor coming through. It's a hybrid. It's a blend of that. Um so that's the genesis of the brand in terms of the name and the significance of it. Yep. And yeah, I think a lot of folks, it, there's a lot of brands that are named after people, individuals, or family, and that are focused on that family history. I want to tell a, a story that's bigger, broader, and more inclusive than just my family or anyone in our group's family. Yeah. Well, and, and to, to, to pay homage to the place that you're from um, and the history behind Memphis and, and, I mean, the intersection of cultures and everything else there. Um, great city, great city, and love the story behind the name. If you think about um, <clears throat> kind of the, the, the craft distilleries like yourself versus, you know, some of the larger distilleries, how um, what's the dynamic like between the, the smaller guys that are kind of 
um, working their way into the into the industry versus some of the largers? Do they they have a tendency to share and talk? Um, and and so you know, thinking about how do you, how did you learn more about distilling and developing your process? Was there was a collaboration with other distillers, or um, how does that how did that work? Yeah. So you know, luckily, as competitive as the industry is, it is inclusive. And in the sense that um, the big guys, you know, it's not like a Will Ferrell movie where they're all stereotypes and jerks <laughs> that want to put down the little guys. But people are inherently inclusive and in looking to help and aid. Yeah, I think probably behind closed doors, they do probably laugh at uh, us, right? Or not not like me specifically, but the overall category because they have all the dollars and the marketing sure. resources and the great recipes. But um, we started off by uh, actually buying and trading uh, whiskey at a commodity-like level. And that was our first venture into this space was creating a, um, a trading platform that allowed us to invest in bulk whiskey, literally like a, a commodity. And um, that was how I was able to get plugged in with some folks that are much bigger and more aged in the industry than I, who were able to pass on a lot of what they had learned about how to build a brand, about how to source inventory. You know, not to go too far down in the mundane details of, of the back office side of building a whiskey brand, but I mean, we all know that it has to age, right? Right. So and we've also probably seen Shark Tank where Mr. Wonderful or Mark Cuban or somebody rips the entrepreneur apart procuring too much inventory on their books. Right? Yeah. Uh, why do you have 90 days worth of t-shirts on your books? You, know, you only need to have just the time inventory. But when, in whiskey, we have to carry, for a four-year-old product, we have to carry five years of inventory. For a nine-year-old product, we have to carry 10 years of inventory. There's a phenomenal amount of capital it takes to lay down uh, inventory for your growth projections. And, and you know, hopefully you're not planning on selling the same volume next year as you are this so uh, that is the barrier to entry into this business, and that sure. is where the big advantage, aside from the marketing and everything, it's the ability to finance the inventory. It's the age-old puzzle, really, when it comes to this business. Well, and I imagine there's a fair amount of stress, too, with putting a, a, a batch of nine-year up on the rack and just hoping that it pans out and ends up tasting, you know, what you want it to taste like. Absolutely. Yeah. And insurance has gotten pretty complex, honestly, unfortunately. Yeah. Of insuring barrels, right? Um, and the other interesting thing about whiskey, um, in the, in the broadest sense, is that it's one of the only commodities or inventories that appreciates in value over time, right? If I'm a cotton trader, cotton trading is pretty big here in Memphis. Yep. It's a uh, um, it goes down in value. It depreciates in value as it ages, it becomes less valuable. So too with those T-shirts or any other widget, many other company is actually appreciating in value. So it's a sort of inverse puzzle when it comes to insuring your assets. That's it's, it's Again, I don't want to bore you guys with this, but I find it to be inherently interesting because it, no, makes, fascinating. This, it, it makes it unique, right? In the truest sense, it's different from every other business, yeah. um, insuring and appreciating inventory. Yeah. Um, well, I think, um, you know, based on, on your explanation of how we came up with the name, I think Juke Joint is probably the next uh, the next one we want to try. Absolutely. Let's pass this one. Dave? Oh, you, you guys are already ahead of me? I've been talking oh, yeah, too I much. Just, Good Lord. No, this is, this is what right. I'm actually looking Thank forward you. to because yeah. obviously because I had the other two. So. <laughs> All right. So, so, Macaulay, what do we need to know about this one? Well, that's the one I'm drinking right now. Okay. There you go. So, so again, our house proof is the 93 proof. So, all three of these products are 93 proof, non non uh, chill filter. So blue nut, the, the blue nut juke joint is a, so it's a little more uh, of a younger spirit. It's a considerably lower price point. The premium small batch retails for about $50 a bottle. This is 27 to 29.99, depending on the retailer in the market. Uh, so it's more of a volume play. It's now our number one seller. Um, you know, obviously with the juke joint name, it's designed to evoke a little more fun every day, um, you're not 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 as fancy. I think it is uh, every bit as good of a bourbon as the premium small batch. It is a little less smooth, obviously a little less on on the uh, on the on on that leather note. But I yeah. think it's surprisingly complex bourbon for sub thirty dollars. Not yeah. put it up against actually anything on the market. I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, you at that price point, just thinking about the the taste that initial hit. That's a really good taste for sub thirty. Yeah, it's really good. That's surprising. Right, you're going to get the vanillas and the, the a little bit of that butterscotchy yeah. uh, maple. But it actually goes a little more complex and interesting with like a crisp pear and almost like a um, 
a melon or dark cherry note hmm. in there. This this is the one that I sit there and like try to analyze over and over again. Every time I retaste it, uh, I come up with slightly different or longer explanations of flavor. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's got a nice finish. It, nice long finish, too. And, that, and that's the key, though, with, with a bourbon. And my palate normally got so bored by the sub-30s. They just were so monotone in flavor. They had one flavor, and you just get really bored. Trying to come up with something, again, that's complex, that keeps your palate searching and interested in having that next sip. The key to me for a good bourbon is one that gets better and more complex as you drink it. Yeah. And again, trying to do that in a sub-$30 bourbon is extremely oh. difficult. And this yeah. took three years to develop. Yeah, it's 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 really good. I I, I like it a lot, and um, it, it's definitely it's different than the first one we tried. Um, I, if I'm honest with you, like I, it felt I, this isn't going to be the right descriptor, but it felt a little flat for me at first when I tried it. But it was like the more I got into it, the better it got. And um, three it's, sips, three sips, right? Yeah. But it also has a really nice um, finish at the end. It does, and it kind of sits with you, which is really mm-hmm. really nice because we've had some where like yeah. you sip it and. It's, it's like gone. it's gone. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Uh, this is this is good. I'm good. I'm really pleased. I love it. Yeah. I get a little bit of the, the mix of like um, that high high alcohol, high evaporation, but it doesn't like you said that that taste stays with you. Yeah. You know, I'm used to like the high evap goes away and the taste goes away, and it's just like a real quick hit, quick burn, and then no flavor. But you're not picking up any Parmesan. I got no Parmesan. No, <laughs> no. When you said pear, I was like, yes. <laughs> I'm getting pear. Not just a pear, but go. a crisp pear. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> so, no, this is really nice. So on the branding side, I got to ask, so is is it that the it's meant to be like a guitar on the front? Is that the whole, oh yeah, there you go. You got the thing in the U and so forth. Yeah. That's actually pretty cool. It's nice. Yep. And so if you play around with it in the light, you'll see the sparkle of the music notes. What? So a cute joint, you know, is a place, it's where the blues, you know, is, is played live, right? It's sort of like the honky-tonk version of the blues. So the, yeah. the best we'll ever have is down here on Beale Street or in some of our juke joints, or we can go down into the Mississippi Delta of the most authentically fun experience you've ever had and at a juke joint you're going to hear some of the best music you've ever heard played from the most casual common looking type folks and it's going to be nothing fancy the quality is extraordinary in the entire experience and so that's what we wanted to embody in the package and the taste of this product um so this one's pretty pretty special to us because in our climate our Delta, um, with a higher hum- humid uh, climate, we lose alcohol yep. every year mm-hmm. towards evaporation. So for a product like this, this is coming out of the barrels at around 122, uh, 120 to 123 proof, somewhere around there. So to get it down to 93, you know, alcohol is pretty volatile. And to cut it down with that much water uh, is quite an interesting process to, to bounce it. So it's, it is, it's exactly right. Like you get that heat on the beginning and then it kind of dissipates mm-hmm. and becomes a lot more. This is a great one for making cocktails you know with a $50 bottle in the nine year you must feel guilty yeah I don't know know if I'd do it with this one to be honest with you so 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 McCall give us a a peek behind the curtains because a lot of times you know the the branding is obviously important we're all marketeers and uh, studying that so give us a little peek behind the curtain like on the bottle and the packaging how do you how did you guys select you know they're all obviously different between the the three that we have in front of us the rye the juke joint and the uh, original small batch uh, premium so how do you guys, how do you guys decide on the packaging? Yeah, so um, well, the premium small batch has a taller, thinner bottle. Yeah, I thought what better way to explain or show the hierarchy in price than to be yeah, high. yeah, be tall. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what does that make me? That's what I want to know. <laughs> We're getting there. <laughs> Yeah, there's a growing trend in American whiskeys uh, that's kind of following scotch of taller, thinner bottles uh, with the higher end stuff. So I thought that was, you know, I don't want to copy anybody, but I wanted to make sure the consumer was aware of like our price hierarchy because there's a drastic difference between 50 and you know 27 29.99 um, on the juke joint that those musical notes are an act that's an actual blues song that we had custom written for us that's so you, cool. you, you can play it um, so um, we wanted to go with something that was simple and authentic so uh, Nora our marketing director and I designed these packages ourselves so this is all done internally we had the help of a graphic designer uh, to actually make it happen but uh, we did it all based on our, you know, awesome. seeing other products, seeing what we wanted and kind of envisioning our heads and making it happen. So blue note bourbon and it is blue. So I'm yeah. a big fan of alliteration, right? 
That's the attorney coming out. Yeah. yeah. I like it. Well, it's also the English major. And I'm, <laughs> there you go. Uh, right. So that sticks, right? It's blue note, bourbon's blue. It just makes sense. Yep. So on river stuff that we're going to taste in a little bit, you know, a lot of people do green on rye. I don't know why they do green on rye. Yeah, rye that's rye. true, actually. Yeah. Um, and to me, it reminds me of that terrible experience with Evan Williams. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Reminds me of green, like underaged wood or underaged whiskey. So again, river set rye, red, you know. Yep. Red is the note that I taste when I taste the rye whiskey. I taste spice, uh, and that would be a, a red hue. So again, mm. just trying to come up with packaging and names that are significant to our region, but also can be remembered. Right? Yep. That's the number one thing yeah. when you're trying to and someone remember it. Sure. Right. Well, I love the way you guys also tied the personality of the the bourbon itself in with the name. So just when you were kind of describing the juke joint, um, you know, as a physical place to go and, and experience different tones and notes and people that may just look normal, but they play incredibly strong quality music. So you guys have obviously put some thought behind um, the brand itself and the personality. So kudos. That's awesome. Yeah, I think uh, so question where can i hear the music like the, <laughs> you want to no, hear the song the, no the, i want to hear the yeah. song right like i think of the the wine the 19 crimes right where you can scan yeah. the face on the yeah. front of it and it tells you the story of the wine and so forth like i want to hear the music um, yes that's going to be added onto the website soon but uh one thing i want to do is um we're going to do a blues competition and it's going to change right the winner is going to get their own blues riff on the package yeah. very cool mm. that's cool I like cool. it. Well, I think um, Alton, Derek, and I need to plan a trip to Memphis, and we might invite <laughs> Kurt. So. You, can you can come. You can come. Yeah, Macaulay, there's a joke, right? Yeah, they yeah. all went. This was before I even knew these. Yeah, anyway, I wasn't invited. Yeah. It's a whole long story. It doesn't feelings, matter, but it keeps his, coming up. His feelings are still hurt. Yeah, too, if so. anybody's going to Memphis, it'll be me first. There you go. So. I like it. I like yeah. it. Yeah. So. I don't like your barbecue with vinegar sauce, but come on. There you go. There you go. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna hand it over to Do to to get us into our third chapter here. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot the laptop. Thank you, Macaulay. All right, Macaulay. So I've got the section for uh, called libations. We talked about life. We talked about lore. I got the last L libation. And I'm gonna we're gonna flip it around a little bit more nuts and bolts. A little bit of the the chemistry, science, the finance. We talked about the warm and fuzzies and all the brand stuff. Um, But in this particular case. When did you guys start out? I may have missed that in the beginning, but when did you guys uh, open doors? Yep. The distillery was founded in 2013. We bought it three years ago in August of 2017 is when we closed on the on the purchase of the distillery, and that's okay. when I went. Okay, cool. And um, so how do you get a nine-year? Like that, that's my, 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 is it bourbon math? Like yeah. how do you get? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about right. that. The way you get a nine year is by working with other partners in the industry um, on contract, right? Finding the flavor profile you want, cool. identifying uh, available inventory that match that flavor profile, um, and purchasing that product on contract and okay. bringing it in and blending it to make it your own. Nice. And so, if it's blended, it's always hard to get or impossible to get a, a mash bill on this. Do any of these have mash bills that you, you guys are like, yep, this is this is the blend, and so it's going to be more sweet, it's going to be a little more spicy, or or in a blend, it's it's kind of an ish, right? So a lot of our listeners, we just try to help them out, like understand, like when you start to hear a mash bill, can you start to taste it before it's even hit your lips as far as what you expect it to be? Yeah, so you probably heard me make a few noises as I'm like holding body my tongue. Yeah, so the word blend, right, is a uh, hot hot topic in the industry. And so when I say blend, I mean mingling barrels together. I do not mean blending. This is a Tennessee straight bourbon whiskey. So, uh, and it is not a blend of straight whiskeys, right? So in the TTB sure. class, uh, a blend of straight whiskeys would have straight whiskeys from different states. So our oh. premium batch is a uh, straight Tennessee bourbon whiskey that is a, a combination of two mash bills, uh, 84, 8, and 8, 84% okay. corn, 8% rye, 8% malt and barley, and 70% corn, 70, 22, 8, 70% corn, 22% rye, 8% malt. Gotcha. Rye, uh, combination, I don't want to say blood. Yeah, right, right. Those two. 
to uh, mash bills. Okay, cool. That's um, very cool. And in order to achieve consistency on each batch, right, that's, that's where the art form comes in. And, and it is a little difficult. And as a small batch, we have said consumer beware. Um, each batch might not taste exactly identical, right? Which, which I think yeah. is what we look forward to, right? Yeah. You, like yeah. you don't want that mass produced, just like you said, flat, flat, homogenized, standard flavor. Like I, I like the, all right, what bottle number are you on? You know, we've done that a couple of times with some other small, you know, craft distillers and we're like, all right, we're going to bring three bottles from the same place and different bottle numbers. And you're like, yeah, it's just, just different enough, which is awesome. It's like, they're all unique. Yep. So, so yeah. another, so another behind the curtain question that we've talked about, uh, Macaulay to that. And thanks for the clarification. I go on the, uh, the mingling there. So you've obviously got a flavor profile you're working toward to get started in the market um, you know, with a nine year, uh, you, you, you're, you're using that. Are you now barreling to the same flavor profile with the intent at some point it will be, no longer be a, uh, mixing of these two mash bills. It'll be a single mash bill, a single barrel, or is that a different trajectory for you guys? Yeah, that we actually are. So, but it's a decade out. We'll wait. We'll call you. <laughs> So the math tool that we're laying down to attempt to move, and look, it's going to vary. Some is a 80, 10 and 10, 80% corn, 10% rye, 10% malt and barley. Um, Look, is it going to taste 10 years exactly the way it does now? No, but as we like to say, it's going to be directionally correct. And we want, what we do stand by is it'll be of the same quality and caliber. Right. So when it comes to quality control, um, with our all of our products for small batch, my main focus is not necessarily right now at mimicking exactly the previous batch's flavor profile, but quality. We want it to be very similar, as close as achievable in terms of taste. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we want quality because uh, we do 20 barrel and less batches. We used to actually wow. hand number. We used to hand number each batch and each okay. bottle. We've outgrown that. You know, I don't, I don't know when this podcast is going to air, but as of today, as of the day of recording, we're uh, distributed in 11 states. That's great. With the goal of building these into national brands. I mean, yeah. I want to build national craft brands with, with Pluto and Riverset. Craft in the sense of quality, not small. Um, you know, craftsmanship, not craft as in micro. Yep. Um, but the main thing we're focusing on is delivering the quality with those really small batches, um, you identify some barrels that aren't going to match the exact flavor profile as something that you've ever seen. We find outliers, but what we're saying, we sometimes say this would be a shame not to uh, put this in just because it stands and takes this batch slightly different than the one before, because we still think it's so fun and cool and great that it's something that our, our uh, customers will appreciate as, as being that directionally correct flavor and of the same quality. Gotcha. That makes yeah. sense. Very cool. Now that the I've got two two big questions around that. Uh, I mean, I mean, back to your question, like, like you know, airing. Uh, depending on when this is airing, um, you know, this should be out in a week. If I have to learn that intro, <laughs> it'll be this time next year. But I think if you know, in the next couple of weeks, I think it's 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 pretty solid that this will be up. Um, my my two questions are, and we can talk about these in order. So first one is flavor profile. Who's helping you figure that one out? You know, English major, law degree, master distiller. Like, is that is that your 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 next path? And are you creating the flavor profile? And then the second question is: ten years a long game. What are you guys doing in between? You know, to to you know keep the lights on, keep things going forward. Like, I'm I'm just fascinated when when we talk to distillers and they're like, "Yep, it's in the barrel." And then you're like, hope it tastes great 10 years from now. So first one is, let's talk about you, Master Distiller, okay. flavor profiles, how you're coming up with those, you know, and is Master Distiller on your on your resume now too? Well, even though I'm a recovering lawyer, I can still answer, answer multiple part questions. There you so. go. There <laughs> go. There go. <laughs> Remember, I'm lowbrow. <laughs> yeah. I'm a co-founder and the president and CEO. And I emphasize co-founder because um, there are other partners of mine that are silent partners that have been very instrumental 
in getting us off the ground. They were uh, a former mentor to former clients of mine cool. who have uh, a lot of business experience and entrepreneurial investing experience and things gotcha. with nothing to do with the craft spirits world. Okay. But it, it took an early team to get this going. Sure. And so, yeah, right now I, I've been leading the charge on creating the flavor profile. Oh, nice. But I'll emphasize that team aspect because uh, while I'm leading the charge, my, my say is not the end all say. We take a vote. We kind of operate as a democracy on this. So I will present several blends to our team, not only my partners, but literally every uh, operational person in our team. And That's we'll, awesome. we'll vote on it to make sure that um, what I'm suggesting is right. And, and look, I'm not always right. We always go with what gets the most votes. So it's right. better we break it down and we've all you know studied and having to take very basic you know, the intro classes so that we're all speaking the same language and reading from the same sheet of music about how to score these things. Um, but we're really excited to introduce our new director of operations who will become hopefully our master blender is Ian Thomas. He um, was the previous distillery director at the Virginia Distillery. Nice. The largest American single malt distillery. He's from Memphis. He and I grew up together. Oh, that's great. Uh, went first through 12th grade of you know, first grade through senior year of high school together. And he wants to move back to Memphis and he's just started this week with us. And I think he's going to ultimately take that over because it's really more in his wheelhouse. That's fantastic. Really go forward, bigger picture flavor profile. That's great. Um, how, how, many, how, how many folks are, before we go to that, how many folks are wearing the blue note hat? Like you said, your, your team, like when you talk, talk about a team, are we talking about warehouses full of people or? Sure. So, um, Today, we have 14 employees, okay. and then I have three other business partners. So I guess in total, there are 17 of us. Nice. Um, and looking to continue to grow. That's fantastic. Uh, but in terms of the long-term game, yeah. right, we're selling, in, we're selling in around 11. We have a number of states coming online in, in a few uh, weeks, September 1. We're selling in about 11 states. Uh, with more states coming online. So those sales are what are keeping uh, the lights on. Nice. Um, and and we're growing. But to build out our pro formas and projections, right, we are looking 10 plus years in the future. And that is the age old uh, problem in the industry. And, you know, back in the day, they didn't have Excel, but they could build pro formas. Yeah. And we can build some pretty uh, badass Excel suits that show massive <laughs> growth. But is it going to happen? Is it going to be there? Are we even going to be alive next year with COVID? I don't know. Um, but you ultimately have to build a pro forma and a growth trajectory based on current sales and invest in the future. And that's that leap of faith uh, that every uh, age brown spirits distilling group has to take. Because the worst thing would be that you achieve sales success and then you don't have the inventory yeah. to fulfill those yep. cases. Yep. Man, you're you're really striking a balance, which is it's got to be hard to do. Which is you know this this takes time. You can't rush it. You can go source it from other 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 profiles, you know, to to fill a bottle to get a label out there to match what you believe you will stand for now and in the future. Um, and then maybe have enough capital and investment in, into the just the operations. I mean, it, it's it, it it's not something I think you can start in your kitchen or a bathtub like maybe a microbrew. And be able to start, you know, barreling it. So, you know, to have enough of, of that investment base, and to know that that investment has to, you got to keep the machine going. Yep. So That's look, a lot. we don't have a public-facing tasting room. Okay. We don't do. Uh, we do industry tours. Happy to give you guys a tour. Happy to have you all down. Uh, we have a, we have a tasting room. It's industry and invite only. Yep. So. Um, we're focused on one thing and that's distribution and building case sales. So the longer margin that one gets from selling, you know, on premise through their tasting room is how most folks build their business in this industry. We are not going that route and to go the distribution route, which is where the real enterprise value is, which is where the real, uh, sustainable business model is created takes an immense amount of capital and it takes a lot of hard work and, and a ton of luck too. But um, it's an extraordinarily capitally in, intensive business. And uh, I think some people think they can create one batch of whiskey or bourbon, sell it, 
use the proceeds from that to buy or make a little bit more, sell that, and eventually scale it up. Right. You know, that's not how it works. You know, you're building a brand. So most people want to talk about the whiskey, the name, the origin, and all of that stuff, which I think is the really fun part of it, the romantic side. But the rubber meets the road in the liquor store and in the bar in terms of sales. I'm glad you right? went there. We are selling some of the largest, most established countries in the world. Yep. Um, and in order to compete with them, it takes, you know, obviously a lot of luck, hard work, great team, but, you know, it takes an immense amount of capital to build that marketing and sales budget. Right. So, you know, about distributors that we have to sell to a distributor, they then sell to a retailer, a liquor store, or a bar or restaurant. But most people don't understand. And the distributor takes a really heavy margin. Sure. Around thirty percent, a 30% margin wow. for just doing we just delivering Dang. the product. Yep. But guess what? You gotta pay them a lot more than 30% or they're never gonna push your brand over the other <laughs> everyone else is yeah, everyone else is paying the 32. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. So that's not they don't just push one brand because they think it's better or more saleable. They push it because dollars are invested. Sure. And so it takes price support, right? So you have to create incentives for their sales team incentives in states where it's legal, of course, incentives for the liquor stores to buy the big displays. The reasons why there's displays of certain products at certain liquor stores isn't because this is the most popular products, because someone's invested price support to get that display there. Yep. Um, and that's where the rubber meets the red. That's that's the art of, uh, and that's the whole consumer sale, consumer product sales. And, and, that's the, and that's the business we're in, and it's uh, highly, highly competitive. And that's right. what I've always been of my team, most of my time and team's bandwidth thinking about. Yep. Now, are you getting that from your investors and your partners, that advice of like, here's how you got to be, do- you know, here are some, like you said, pro forma or some some Excel Excel formulas to get you started in that space? Or, you know, do they have experience in that? In that? Look, realistically, no. I mean, there, we, have, okay. we have meetings and um, there's all sorts of business acumen, but uh, consumer products is something that we're figuring out together as a team. And you know, we're having to learn the industry. And one thing I will say as an attorney, uh, the one common skill set that you develop is the ability to absorb a phenomenal amount of information, retain it, yep. and then forget and move on to the next case or deal. <laughs> In this instance, I'm just trying not to move on to the next deal. Yeah, so yeah. we're trying to go deeper and deeper into this. And I think our team has uh, grown at a remarkable rate. Like this year, we're on pace to hopefully do about 450% sales growth over last year wow. during COVID, Congrats. which we're excited about. So awesome. Macaulay, is, 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 North Car- is North Carolina on the, uh, on the state list? North Carolina is on the uh, soon-to-come state list. Nice. <laughs> Very good. Can't wait. Very good. Let us know if there's anything we can do to help other than, <laughs> other than, um, other than just buying bottles once it hits the shelf. So. <laughs> Yeah, Dave will pick I it up. About one thing. So when I say like realistically, no, it's that we're, we're all learning this and figuring it out together. Sure. Um, and yeah, I think we've done a really good job. And, and it, it's also because I've surrounded myself outside of my just my business partners with a remarkable operations team, and others have bought into this vision. Um, you know, our CFO Logan Welk, who t- took the leap of faith as well, leaving uh, one of the big four accounting firms. Uh, to join us, you know, there's an immense amount of math, immense amount of finance and forecasting that goes into this. It takes that kind of mind to build one of these businesses. Nora Boone, our marketing director, took that leap of faith and left uh, the cosmetics industry to come on with us and has brought all of her. So we've combined a lot of people without a lot of industry experience together and are trying to figure it out. But the one area I will say that we realized we could not just do based on trying to figure it out and learn and be new was the sales side. So we really focused yeah. on hiring a killer experienced sales team. Gotcha. That's smart. I've got I've got two more questions. So one's sure. a big question. And and I know that you had, you know, you used bourbon during, you know, uh, studying for the bar as a way to sleep. But what's keeping you up at night? And then the second question, because you can handle this as a lawyer, back to back questions. <laughs> um, what's the one thing you didn't plan for? You know, when you set out and you're like, 
I got it all figured out or I got enough of it figured out. And then this one thing slid up on you and you're like, dang, did not think of that. Um, so those two, what's keeping you up at night and what's the one thing you didn't plan for? So what keeps me up at night has evolved over time. It used to be simple things and the uncertainty. As an entrepreneur, you learn to live in the uncertainty and almost no curveball can be thrown at you that actually surprises you. To me, to be surprised or to get frustrated means like you literally couldn't see it coming. I yeah. think we've done a good job of anticipating. If we haven't anticipated it, we've anticipated that something similar is at least a possibility. What keeps me up at night now is we are growing very rapidly and expanding and thinking about how to best service our distributor partners and our retail partners and maintain um, the same level of quality that we started out with as we grow. I don't want to be that company that cuts corners in order to meet purchase orders, right? Yep. Like we're obviously all about building a business, but we want to do it right. We want to maintain that quality and we, we want to uh, get better at delivering even higher quality, better blends as, as we grow. Um, the, the biggest you know, thing that was not anticipated or it, it wasn't even that it wasn't anticipated. I'll say the, I'm going to, I'm going to tweak your question and sure. say the hardest challenge or one of the biggest obstacles isn't the capital. It isn't the competition. It's uh, building the team and it's more of like the personal relationships. And as one of my uh, partners and mentors told me uh, that management is good. Management is the rarest of all commodities Wow. And at first, I didn't really appreciate what that meant because what management? It's just me and a couple <laughs> of guys on the team. We're just sure. Out. We're doing all awesome. As you grow, uh, you learn that success is going to be um, achieved through delegating responsibilities and building out the team. And there is, there is manage, management comes into it as that team gets bigger. And I now having... Uh, you know, gone through a couple more years and COVID has had a way of bringing everything that could come to a head to a head. We've had a good amount of turnover, not a uh, planned or laid off turnover, but people have, you know, resigned. Some people have had to be terminated. We've hired new people. That, that, that has been one of the hardest things is managing people, managing expectations, and then uh, also understanding that like the only thing sure in life is going to be changed, especially when it comes to our team and certain people right. are going to get on and off the bus as we grow. Yep. I love it. Great answers. Yep. I mean, it's really, really good stuff. It sounds like you've got some good mentors and some smart mentors as well. Yeah. So. Yep. So it's uh, the third bottle. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I, it's funny because I, I feel been, like we almost lost sight of the third bottle. No, I've, I've been, I've been trying to find a way into it other than um, tell us about Riverside Ride. <laughs> so, so smooth so, there. It is, <laughs> so smooth. It is. And I gotta be honest with you. I'm not a rye guy. Like Kurt, Kurt keeps bringing up rye and we're like, dude, it's not bourbon, but the rye shows up and I know Kratz a rye guy. I like rye. Elton, are you a rye guy? Not usually. Yeah. I always associate rye with just a high burn, bite and um so i've 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 never been it's never been on my list of things to try but tonight i've got i've got a glass right here tell us about it so look so just like we the same approach we took with bourbon of wanting to deliver a really high quality product that can be appreciated by the aficionados we're still focused on getting people into the category same thing with yeah i can't tell you how many times when we first started producing rye that we'd go and do tasting and people say oh i don't like rye and you'd say, hey, have you ever had a rye? I said, well, no, I've never tried a rye. So I was like, how do you know it if you how do you know if you don't like it if you yeah. ever tried it? Yeah. It's a product that could get people interested in rye. And that's what we I think we've achieved with River Set. We just won double gold uh, in uh, a number of competitions. So it's gonna be a little more approachable, a little less spicy than otherwise. Okay. It's gonna start off with a really heavy vanilla uh, nose. That is going to be followed up with a, uh, a green apple, crisp, green apple, cinnamon, very crisp mid palate. And then that like green apple, oh, yeah. smooth vanilla finish. It's, it's different from most ryes you've ever had. It's a little less spicy. It's a little more crisp. Uh, and I think it's overall a lot more drinkable. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I agree. You, I'm, uh, I, I'm not a typically rye fan for whatever reason. The pepper overwhelms me, whatever. But the the way you just walk through the the tasting profile, totally agree. And it is different 
than any rye I've I've had. Well, so, in, in reading the bottle, what I think uh, Macaulay just described was the rye rebellion. Oh, oh there you go. The bring, bringing, bringing the smooth, bringing the smooth to rye, which so, I, yeah. I love rye, and um, that's a, that's a really good that's a really good rye. So River sets its own whole brand. It's got its own website. It's obviously got its own name. It's not Blue Notes River Set Ride. It's its own uh, okay. cola and trademark. So its own brand. Um, and yeah, on the back of the label, you'll read about how we were frustrated that all ryes were either too hot yep. and some that don't go under the back of the list, or they just all have the same flavor profile. And that's the MGP Minty Ride Note. Uh, the MGP makes a hell of a good rye, uh, but there's a very distinct flavor characteristic to it that's a very minty, earthy note. Okay. Um, and in order to differentiate ourselves on the shelf, we had to come up with something that had a different flavor profile. So we call it the Rye Rebellion of proving that rye can be inherently drinkable and smooth, but yet still be a rye. Like it still has that cinnamon note, allspice note that you associate with the rye, but more drinkable through the crisp apple note and just the inherent vandalins in our maturation process, that vanilla flavor. Uh, it's called River Set Rye because Memphis is set along the banks of the river, Mississippi River. Um, it's, of course, got the red label because I love yep. alliteration. River, rye yep. red. Uh, it features a riverboat, not just because you see them when you come to Memphis, but because riverboats were how they transported barrels of whiskey up okay. and down the river, and it was effectively the whiskey highway. And our saying for Riverset, besides join the Rye Rebellion, is uh, our trademark uh, slogan, which is go against the current. Um, nice. Because the riverboat was one of the first, the steamboat was one of the first uh, inventions that allowed people to easily go upriver, right? Like floating downriver, everybody that easy. Yeah, but everyone so does it once. We use the riverboat now, we're trying to build it into our symbol for rebellion and blazing your own trail. Go against That's the current. Awesome. That's what we think we've done with this. And we think by drinking rye in general, you're going against the grain, going against the current of bourbon. Uh, so again, we've, we've I like it. You thought a lot about it. All, all this stuff, but. Now, I, and I don't know much about rye. I've just been learning about bourbon. Does it have a mash bill too? And is it in a barrel? Like are there, are there rye rules? Yeah, 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 of course. Um, so of course it's, you know, whiskey, you know, is the greater category, American yep. whiskey, yep. bourbon rye. Um, to be a straight rye whiskey, it has to follow very similar definitions to bourbon. It has to be aged in a new charted barrel. Okay. But it has to be 51% rye. rye. Okay. Got right it. Right instead of corn, as the name suggests. Uh, so the mash bill of our Riverset rye, it's a Tennessee rye whiskey, 95% rye, 5% malted barley. Um, that is kind of the extreme high rye mash bill. So there's no corn. Yep, no, no corn at all. Grain other than rye. Um, you have the malt and barley in there for their enzymes during the fermentation process. Uh, but it's effectively, you know, some people now, some crab folks are like a hundred percent rye. Sure. I, I haven't had any of those that I really care for a hundred percent anything. You, you need that malt and barley for its enzyme in the fermentation process to really balance it out. Around 30% of your flavor is going to be created based on your grain content and during that uh, fermentation process. Uh, but then that, balance that 70% comes from uh, the oak. And so in, in our really uh, warm climate here in Memphis, it, we average around six degrees warmer uh, per annum than uh, does middle Tennessee. Um, and so we think that extra heat and that extra humidity is extracting out more of those vanilla notes in the barrels. Oh, the barrel, yeah. Um, so this this one is, is a particular... Um, you know, sentiment are important to us and our team because our first batches of it honestly weren't that good. We created some batches. We internally loved it, right? We went out to market and the market told us, hey, guys, you guys have some work to do on this. And we listened. We went back to it. We analyzed it and we tweaked our blend. Uh, we took a lot more care in curating which barrels were going into this and which barrels we needed to uh, set aside and let further age for the process. And we think we've honed in on the winner here. And how long, uh, and how long are these aged? Yeah. Is it like the uh, bourbon has yeah. a minimum two or five, you know, four, is it anything similar in the rye space? Yeah. So to be a straight, uh, whiskey, no matter what category it has to be at least two. Yep. River set is over four. So okay. Four year old, uh, you know, meat boy. 
93 proof as well. Again, that's our house proof because 1930s, you know, the century, the nine, the three, the decade of the 30s is when the blues were blowing up. <laughs> ah, we were there wondering. We, we were wondering. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. I love it. Yes, I like it. That's when Prohibition was repealed. Yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our favorite day. holiday. <laughs> <laughs> ah, this is awesome. All right, I'm going to hand it over to Alton. We're in the home strap, man. There's like, this could go on for days. I'm sure you're getting tired. So uh, <laughs> one, one question for, for me, um, you know, I don't know how much you know about the Bourbon Boys and Bourbon On, but we basically started as a ragtag support group. So we figured out that, hey, we're going through the same things in life. We're going through the same things at work, the same job changes, the same career challenges. All of us were raising kids, getting ready to send them off to college. So we figured out that, God, why are we doing this alone when we've got people that we could lean on and, you know, basically lift us up, watch our backs, et cetera. And so, drink with. And drink with. Well, the bourbon is what <laughs> keeps us coming drink back. drink yeah. with, right? Uh, so for you, Macaulay, uh, you've talked about, you know, your buddy Joe, Joe's wine and liquor store. you got Ian coming back from a long time. But beyond that, just through the whole journey, as you've hit stress points and you were, you know, talking through, was this the right thing to do? Should I make this jump from my, you know, my solid lawyer job, attorney, into this, you know, proprietorship role to get those partners together? So who would you give a shout out to? Who would you look back and say, these are the folks that, you know, are, are my version of the Bourbon Boys who I reach out to, who I trust to tell me it's a good idea, a bad idea? Who would that be? You know, so obviously aside from my family, just supporting my mom, Cried and my dad was really upset when I first quit. I have to give a shout out to my three guys that took the first leap of faith in me, and that's uh, Steve Tanzer, Rob Del Priori, and Frank Watson. Those are my three business partners. Yep. Those guys who believed in the initial concept of our idea took the leap of faith with me to invest with me the initial capital to do this. Um, and they are still right there by my side, uh, through thick and thin. And the guys that are going to help us build, you know, Blue Note Bourbon into a household brand name, hopefully one day, right? And you know, it's not without its challenges. Any uh, startup group, there's going to be. Uh, it's it's sort of like a marriage, right? There's you're in it for the long haul, uh, through thick and thin. You really get to learn uh, more about the partners you're with, but you ultimately learn a lot about yourself. And uh, I have to give a shout out to them because without those three uh, remarkable guys, you know, this would not be here. I wouldn't be sitting in front of you all today and I wouldn't have the opportunity to chase a dream and a passion. So uh, cheers to them. Cheers to those guys. That's right. That's great. That's great. So I think, you know, this has been a a lot of fun for us. We close all our uh, episodes with an episode, portion called last call so there's a scenario and then basically the idea is of what we've sampled tonight uh what would be the the drink of choice so with the blue note uh premium small batch in front of us the blue note juke joint and the river set rye the scenario is and macaulay will let you lead off is you're going to go to a new set of investors you can take one drink with you one of these three to convince them that, hey, you guys should get on board with what we're doing. So with that group of investors in the room, what do you give them a glass of and why? So look, I got to give them the Blue Note Juke Joint um, because that's really ultimately our baby and it's now becoming our number one seller, even though we only launched it in July. Wow. Wow. Okay. And I pitched them on it because... um, one, at its age and price point, it's going to have higher volume potential. Yep. Every man, every person, everywhere type whiskey. It's a drinking whiskey, not a sipping whiskey. Um, I think we've over-delivered in taste and quality relative to price at $29.99, $27.29.99. Um, and I think, it, I think it has legs to scale into a national brand with serious volumes one day. And um, when you when you measure quality relative to price, if you took that like ratio, I think this delivers uh, day in day out, and all of our markets have recognized it. Yep, can't argue with that, Kurtron. 
So I'm I'm kind of torn. I'll be honest with you, which is probably not unusual for you guys. <laughs> no. But um, I gotta I, I gotta go with um, the blue note, just the the small batch. I here's my reason why. So I'm kind of with Macaulay on the whole, like the 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 taste and the profile for the price point, pretty amazing on the juke joint. But there is something about that blue note that I find so appealing. And what I really love about it is that it's not just for the highbrow, as uh, Macaulay calls us. <laughs> mistakenly. <laughs> yeah, mistakenly. It is, but it's it's a bourbon that I think appeals not only just to those who are really like into bourbon and appreciate a very good quality bourbon, but yeah. those who are just kind of coming into it as well. So um, so I think the diversity of it and the appeal um, or the approachability, as Macaulay called it, I think that would be that would be my call to like bring those guys in and hook hook them on on coming in and investing. So, all right, wow. very good, crap. Yeah. So before I do this, I got to give um, Macaulay some major props as well as your marketing director because you know we. There's four guys here with um, a fair amount, if you will, of marketing experience for some pretty damn big companies and what you guys have put together in terms of matching these brands with the personalities of the actual liquor themselves is is really amazing so um congratulations on that i um i gotta go with the rye rebellion i'm not gonna lie um, <laughs> of course you know I I, I I do like a rye i like a little uh feffery um but you know, at the end of the day, I think I think I like the strategy, Macaulay, of what you guys have tried to do in terms of taking something that is pretty niche um, in terms of a flavor profile and making it more approachable. Um, so um, I'm all about the uh, the river set. All right, all right. So where's Dew going? I'm I'm in the juke joint. I I think that there's yeah, it's something. A guitar yeah, player. yeah. And now I, I you know I love everything that you described about this Macaulay about it being really the spirit of Memphis. I'd, I'd want to have that drink in a juke joint with them and go, mm-hmm, if you like sure. this, the next time you get to try the nine. Yeah. You know, but for right now, man, if you, you would close it on, with me, you would close it with a juke joint. Yeah. Because it just, yeah. it embodies something that just it's is so unique. It is. It's, it's so emotional. It's such a spirit of, of what Memphis stands for. You, you figured out how to put it in a bottle. Like, that's just yeah. impossible to do. And you guys just absolutely, <clears throat> absolutely killed it. So. I love that one. All right. And I'm going to go, nobody's going to see this coming, and my wife will hear this, and she'll be like, you're sucking up. But I'm going to the rye. Yeah. Oh, God. Seriously? I am such the anti-rye guy usually, but what you guys have done is, the storyline to me with the investors is, look, you took a category that somebody was totally not comfortable in, didn't enjoy, and you did something with it. You set out to solve the opportunity, and you found the you found the sweet spot to play. Amen, yeah. brother. So well, I'm you, going. I'm going right. You converted Alton, so that's that's. I'll give you. I'll give you credit for that. Yeah. So hey, and that's a twenty nine ninety nine bottle too. <laughs> Can't beat it. Can't beat it. There you go. Well, we're excited about North Carolina being on the list. Yes, we are. Macaulay, thank you so much for dedicating your time for us and working with us on the schedules. This has been awesome. You taught us so much and gave us a great view of Blue Note. You guys are doing amazing things. Congrats on your success. We're excited to see uh, more states coming up just around the corner. For sure. Well, thank you all so much for having me because also we couldn't build these brands or do any of this without the help of folks like y'all. So thank you so much. Well, next time we're in Memphis, um, I know the first place we're going. Yeah, my wife's got some family there. They're so proud of being from Memphis. I, I want to hear more about what you guys are doing in the community, so we're going to look you guys up when we're up that way. Give us a shout. Thanks. All right, gentlemen, it's been fun. And until next time. Till next time. Bourbon on. Bourbon on. Bourbon on. Cheers. 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 Thanks, Macaulay. Thank you all, seriously. And honestly, anytime you are in town, we're going to get some barbecue. Drink some good whiskey and have a big time. Uh, you, you, you had me a whiskey and barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be, we'll be two two of my the, favorite things. I'll pull the car around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just a note. Thanks, Macaulay. Appreciate it. Uh, all right. Okay. See, See you, bud. Take care. You too.